Welcome, friends, to an extra special episode of A VGM Journey. And I'm your host, The Messenger. The track that we're playing in today's show is Seal of the Seven Maidens from the game The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, and that was composed by Koji Kondo. We've got a real fun show for you guys, and I have a very special guest on the show today. Let's give a very warm welcome to Bedroth. Welcome to the show, Bedroth. Hey, hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, exciting to um, come and kind of see your neck of the woods for once. <laughs> I know. This is a little bit weird for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've been uh, you've been on our show a couple of times, and um, this time you're, you're in the driver's seat. And I actually just get to bring some of my favorite songs without having to worry about a theme or worry about what my co-host wants it's just uh you've given me a real gift here so thanks for having me <laughs> i'll try not to drive us off the road <laughs> but yeah you're bringing quite a bit of really amazing music for the show and i'm sure that everyone's gonna really like it i know that i like a lot of this stuff and uh i think before we get into the music i guess just talk about yourself a little bit uh what do you do? What do I do? Well, um, in my normal non-VGM life, I just work with retirement plans. It's not anything too exciting. But in my VGM life, I uh, have been a fan of VGM podcasts for a long time, uh, going back all the way to <clears throat> like 2014, 2015, uh, starting out with things like uh, Legacy Music Hour, the Supermarcado Brothers, and of course, the VGM Jukebox, which is where I heard about this mysterious figure known as The Messenger, who kept popping up on a lot of other podcasts I eventually discovered, like Pixel Tunes Radio, Pixelated Audio, Rhythm and Pixels, all these pixels, man. Um, and then ultimately the BGM to see XVGM, all the other shows that we love. I'm going to stop naming them because I'm going to invariably leave somebody out. But I was inspired after all these great shows to start my own show with my kid and co-host who goes by the internet name Shoot Kapow. And he and I have recorded um, about, uh, well, we're actually coming up on our 65th episode of um, Very Good Music, a VGM podcast. And yeah, it's uh, kind of like your show. We um we don't do it weekly, but we um, we have uh, we have themes that we pick. Sometimes we do just grab bag episodes. Uh, sometimes we plan things out in advance, and sometimes I just ask Shukapow, you know, what what she wants to do that particular week. But that's really it. 
podcast host and uh, BGM podcast fan. It's definitely very good. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of your show. I I think you you and Shukapel have done quite an amazing job on it. And you know, I, I want to say, well, thank hey, you. keep it up. <laughs> yeah, well, the feeling is definitely mutual. Um, we're we're big fans of yours, and uh, uh, it was fun having you join us on the show first to talk about ninjas. You know, since since you are a VGM ninja, of course. And then um, most recently you came over and talked about uh, Mick Gordon, who I know is a, everybody knows is one of your favorites. And so, yeah, uh, like I said, it's just, it's fun to kind of come in. And I do hope all of this music lives up to, uh, to that moniker of, of very good. These are, these are definitely, uh, you can't pick like favorite video game tunes. It just, I think that's kind of equally agreed upon by all of us that your favorites can change from week to week. But what makes these tracks that I picked really special is that these are songs from when I was a kid that I remember really noticing for the first time, like separate from the game. Uh, that, that it wasn't just background music to me. These are songs that jumped out, got stuck in my head, and that I thought about later on when I really started thinking about video game music as as a thing. Um, and the the intro, uh, Seal of the Seven Maidens, um, I actually, is one of the tunes on here, that one and, and the closer that we're going to talk about that I'm least familiar with, because you just asked me if I, uh, if I did have any favorite games or anything like that, and I told you, well, my favorite series is Zelda, and that's why you chose Seal of the Seven Maidens, which is a really, really great song. There's not a bad song on the Link to the Past soundtrack. And then I told you who my favorite composer was, and that's who we'll be coming up and listening to at the end of the show. So, But everything else is just... It's a song I loved when I was a kid, and so I thought it would be fun to talk about. Yeah, I was thinking that those two tracks, uh, they are pretty much like the the bread of the sandwich, <laughs> and that the tracks that are in the middle, that all the ones that you picked out, I mean, they're, they're the various meats and veggies that make up <laughs> that sandwich. That is a very tasty metaphor. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Are you ready to kick things off? I am. And this one is probably, it's really the first video game song I think I remember. I looked forward to getting to this level in this game, specifically because I loved this music so much. Uh, there are better video game tunes out there, but this one, there's probably not a more nostalgic piece of video game music for me than Ice Cap Zone from Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Well, you heard it right here. We're going to play <laughs> Ice Cap Zone Act 1 from the game Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And there are so many composers credited to this game. <laughs> yeah, it's which kind of I will, for that. <laughs> I will read them off right here. We got Brad Buxer, Michael Jackson. Yes, it is that Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh, Sirocco Jones, Bobby Brooks, Daryl Ross, Jeff Grace, Doug Gribbs, Grigsby, Sachio Ogawa, Tatsuyuki Maeda, and Jun Sinoue.
All right. That track that you guys just listened to, that was Ice Cap Zone Act 1 from the game Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And that track was possibly composed by quite a handful of people. Uh, to be honest, my money is on Brad Bucks, and I have my reasons uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I don't remember, uh, exactly what the name of it is, um, but it sounds like you kind of know where you're going with that. So the deal with Brad Buxer was he was in this group called the Jetsons mm -hmm. and they had this track called Hard Time and Hard Times. That's what it is. It's pretty much straight up ice cap zone. So that's why <laughs> I'm personally giving the credit to Brad Bucks for this track. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good call. And of course, uh, back when I played this game, um, when I was still in in middle school, I had no idea about any of that stuff. I just knew this is really the first Sonic game I, I really got into. It's the first one I ever beat, and uh, I I enjoy Sonic Two and kind of like kind of like people are with Mega Man Two and Mega Man Three. How Two is really the superior game. For me, 3 will always have my, my love because it was my first Mega Man game. Even though I recognize that 2 is is a, a tighter, better gameplay experience, Sonic 3, for me, will always be one of my favorites. And the music is a big part of that. It, it's all of these really dancey, poppy, funky tunes that definitely have that Michael Jackson influence. Um, and Ice Cap Zone, just very rarely have I gotten to... Uh, a level in a game and thought that the music fit what I was seeing on the screen so perfectly. Uh, you've got sounds that, uh, that sound like, like snow, um, the, the chimey chippy, um, tunes just, just really have that sort of that, that ice cold kind of feel. And it's, uh, combine that with in act one, the, the fact that you start out with Sonic snowboarding down, uh, through the, through the cavern. It's just, it's so cool. Such a great intro to a level. I think that was my exact feeling for that track. I mean, I, I think, I think that track is kind of a jam. Definitely. Definitely. I think in hindsight, my favorite track from the whole Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles experience is probably Flying Battery Zone. It just it goes so, so hard, which, um, fun fact, Flying Battery Zone was originally supposed to be the level before Ice Cap Zone. Um, in the, the release, it ended up being Carnival Night Zone and then Ice Cap Zone, but that, uh, that piece of metal that Sonic is snowboarding with is actually supposed to be the door that he kicks his way out of when they leave the Flying Battery Fortress. And I did not know that until really, really recently, like within the last year. And I just thought that was so cool. The idea of going from the Flying Battery tune to this tune, I feel like my, my little mind would have just exploded <laughs> if that had happened. <laughs> You know, that makes a lot of sense to me. I've actually, I've kind of dabbled in Sonic 3, and uh, I guess nowhere near as much as you have, but <laughs> I, I think it's a good time. And I've, I think the, the story with the development of the game, uh, I think is definitely a very interesting one, especially with the... Uh, with Definitely. the Michael Jackson stuff. Yeah, the whole the whole story of Sonic 3's development is, uh, I mean, there could be a whole podcast about that. So <laughs> so before we get too bogged down, um, do you want to move on to the next track? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> all right. Now, this is one I think that um, all gamers of a certain age are going to know this. It's one of those quintessential early video game tunes that just uh, you can't get out of your head. And I haven't. I haven't been able to get out of my head for like 30 years ever since I first experienced this song. It's definitely a pretty catchy one. And we're talking about the main theme for Bubble Bobble. And this was composed by Tadashi Kimijima. That catchy little tune that you guys just listened to, that was the main theme from Bubble Bobble, and that was composed by Tadashi Kimijima. Oh, man. It's so much fun. It's just so happy and bouncy and, again, really matches the aesthetic of all the the bright, cartoony pastel colors you see on the screen. I'm always amazed at games like this that have just one song and yet somehow it manages to uh you manage not to get tired of it um super mario brothers was that way a lot like every overworld was the same um of course games like tetris and um balloon fight and oh uh adventures of lolo was a big favorite of mine back then and it's just one song over and over again but somehow it's you know, it just gets in your head and it just kind of you start to feel the rhythm and you just keep going. I think that's the one thing that I'm really impressed by with a lot of the 8-bit tracks in a lot of games is that these composers, they're up against hardware limitations. I mean, they can't make like the most super craziest sounding tracks, but they're able to come up with all these really catchy melodies that you won't get sick of even after hearing it like 500 times yeah yeah and i mean there are certainly exceptions to that we don't talk about them because we play the stuff that people like to hear but the ones that stand the test of time are are the ones that uh that you know you can listen to pretty much on loop and yeah i mean they couldn't do these big sweeping cinematic style 
scores that uh you know there's really good stuff like the music in, in uncharted for example is just is just fantastic and they just couldn't do something like that with that kind of hardware so they did have to fall back on in order for it to be meaningful you had to have a melody because you had so few instruments to work with the melody really had to carry the tune and i guess that's going to be the through line in a lot of in, in all the tracks i brought today is that they all have just a very strong um hummable melody that that will stick with you and that will get stuck in your head and that's always been really meaningful to me as a gamer and uh, so that's kind of what i gravitate toward nowadays i was just thinking that you know this song it's so catchy and i feel like a track like this really amplifies my enjoyment in a game because i guess what i'm trying to say is that would you enjoy bubble bobble as much if this track didn't exist oh no <laughs> no uh the game itself it's it, it can get really repetitive and uh at parts it could be really frustrating with some of the the way the physics work um but this uh this bouncy little tune just kind of keeps propelling you forward and uh um it can help negate some of that frustration. Uh, have you played Bubble Bobble much at all? To be honest, I've actually never played the game. <laughs> it's it's something that's worth uh, you know going. Um, you can find it and play it for free online. I'm sure there are so many different different versions of it. Um, it it's worth kind of getting into for for an afternoon and seeing how you like it. It's fun. Um, I played this with a guy who was uh, at the time my best friend when I was really really little, still like elementary school, and we did actually manage to get all the way to the final boss together, um, which is like the first time you have a different song other than this, and we never did manage to beat him. But I will that memory sticks in my head even now thirty years later, and uh, like I said, so does this song. <laughs> I can really see how a track like this can be very nostalgic. I mean, even though I have no personal nostalgia for this track, I kind of just on its own get that vibe. I mean, it's kind of it actually kind of has a little bit of a an old timiness to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely it. Like I said, the the game itself has a really cartoony aesthetic, and and the music really really fits that bill as well. If I'm not wrong, I think you you do have a little bit of nostalgia for the next game on the list, though. Oh yes, yes I do. <laughs> I got a lot to talk about with this. Well, let's go ahead and get into it because I'm going to have a lot to say as well. <laughs> well, coming up next, we got Rainbow Road from Mario Kart 64, and <laughs> this classic track was composed by Kenta Nagata.
Okay, that track that you guys just listened to, that was Rainbow Road from the game Mario Kart 64, and it was composed by Kenta Nagata. Oh man, I love this track so much. Far and away, my favorite Mario Kart song, even now. Um, Mario Kart 8 had some really fantastic music in it, but oh, I just love this so much. And I love this particular version. I like the version in Mario Kart 8, but this one... I don't know, there's like this air of sort of mystery almost to it. Um, It feels like you earned your way to this track and to this song. It's just, ah, it's so good. I've got so many memories of playing the N64 with my friends when I was in middle school. And this is one of the games, you know, the N64 was great for multiplayer. That was really one of its strengths. And this is one of those games that I just couldn't get enough of. I recently had a poll up on the VGM Podcast Fans Facebook group, uh, polling people on their favorite Rainbow Road song from any Mario Kart game and the one from Mario Kart 64 blew everything away. I mean so many people voted for that one and it was like a close second for me personally. I actually kind of prefer the one on Mario Kart 7. I know it's kind of <laughs> a hot take but this... You know Shukapel might be right there with you. He uh, Shukapel loves the Mario Kart 7 soundtrack. This, this Rainbow Road it is quite amazing. I wish I had the musical chops like uh, like the Supermarket Bros do to talk about why this song is so emotional almost. It's got that feel to it like uh, like the moon theme from DuckTales or um, on a recent episode of KVGM, The Last Wave, Hammock played the end credits theme from Lufia 2, Rise of the Sinistrals. And it's just got that sort of power ballad, the, the chord progressions and everything. It just, it really evokes this sense of wonder in you. And um, this this could have been the credits theme for Mario Kart 64. It's um, it's really that that emotional to me. It's, it's a, just such a cool track. Yeah, I get a very nice finale type of vibe from this track, which makes a lot of sense because this is the very last track in the game. Yep. And I believe it's also the longest track as well. It is. Yeah, it's the longest track in Mario Kart 64. They actually... When they brought it back in Mario Kart 8, they made it one of those where it has checkpoints instead of actually looping on the track because the track is so long. But back on the 64, you just, you know, you went through it three times. And so um, you probably heard this song for the longest of any of the songs in the game, too. Which is pretty great because it is an amazing track. So I I don't mind listening Mm -hmm. to it several times. And actually, what I what I really like about this track is that there's kind of kind of I guess two different parts of that song where it's kind of just like one loop. It's one uh, instrument, and then like the second loop, it kind of goes for more of a I guess a guitar sound to it and it's <laughs> yeah it's hard to tell with the n64 um uh the sound fonts that it uses but but i think you're right i feel like that that second part like it it has a little bit more emotion to it like it kind of hits me right in the feel yeah it's really kind of got that feel when you know when the band comes in and uh really kind of brings everything together it's 
it, it's really impressive. Um, the N64, for all of the great melodies and tunes that are on the N64, it also was still pretty limited as far as being able to sound like this big sweeping orchestral thing. But sometimes, like with this, it, 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 it was really able to pull it off. And that's a real testament. Like you were saying earlier, that's a testament to the composers and how they overcame the sound hardware. I guess slightly off-topic, but I want to know, who's your go-to racer? In Mario Kart 64, it's Wario, all the way. Uh, and that has some to do with the fact that I just kind of thought Wario was cool. This was coming off of the Wario Land games, which I really enjoyed a lot. But also, I I like the... I didn't like the heaviest racers, um, like Bowser, because they, they, they were so slow to start, even though they had a higher top speed. But Wario kind of split that difference for me, where he, he had a, a higher top speed than most, but um, but he could still kind of get going uh, a little faster than than the big guys. Yeah, I, I get that. I um, I kind of go back and forth between Mario and Toad. So I don't know. I just find Toad to be a little cocky, and I just find that very amusing. <laughs> yeah, I really i I never remember was the Koopa Troopa in. Mario Kart 64 as a racer? No. Okay. Uh, Koopa Troopa was my favorite in Super Mario Kart on the SNES, which is weird because I went from one of the lightest racers to one of the heaviest ones. But I really liked, I don't know, something about the fact that you could play as the Koopa Troopa. But um, uh, Toad's all right. Toad's all right. He was a little bit of a lightweight for for my taste after I discovered Wario. (laughs) I think uh, just playing seriously, I I mainly play as Mario because he's kind of just the... uh, the balanced guy like you know he's decent at everything not great at anything yeah he's reliable for sure kind of like playing as ryu in street fighter (laughs) i think mario kart 64 might be the best multiplayer game on the 64 i know that's kind of a uh, like a highly debatable topic i mean i know that some people would say golden eye i think it is uh it's for me, it's one of four. It's GoldenEye, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, or um, the original Super Smash Bros. One of those four definitely is going to take the cake for the best multiplayer on the system. And this one, I think, is probably the highest, uh, what is it, the um, the top, top-tier contender. I mean, I could argue that any of the... Nintendo 64 Mario Parties could be the GOAT of N64 multiplayer games. That is true. I completely forgot about those. (laughs) But Mario Kart 64, I I mean, I think it's super easy to get into. I think even beginners would have a lot of fun with it. I think so. I think it's the most accessible Mario Kart game out of all of them. For sure, for sure. Now, uh, speaking of Smash Bros, actually... uh, we're going to start moving into an area where um, the sound hardware didn't really hold people back as much. Oh, this next track is absolutely amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. We're going to be listening to Fountain of Dreams from Super Smash Brothers Melee. It was originally composed by Jun Ishikawa, and this arrangement was done by Tadashi Ikigami.
appreciate that pretty amazing track that we just listened to. That was Fountain of Dream from the game Super Smash Brothers Melee. It was originally composed by Jun Ishikawa, and this was arranged by Tadashi Ikigami. I could go on and on about this track. Uh, why don't you actually go ahead and go first? Because I feel like I'm still kind of gathering my thoughts on this. <laughs> I think at the time, I I don't think I really appreciated the Melee soundtrack as much as I do now. But I always thought this track was amazing. And actually, I thought it was kind of a, an interesting choice to take Gourmet Race from Kirby Superstar and just have it sound really epic. So, I mean, I don't want to use the word epic, but this was pretty epic. Oh, this this definitely qualifies as epic, especially especially at the time. Um, I had never played uh, Kirby Superstar at this point. I just, it, it wasn't one of the SNES games that I had, and so I didn't play that until way later when the, the 20th anniversary collection came out. So this was my first real exposure to this track, to the, to the Gourmet Race track, which of course is a classic all by itself. But Fountain of Dreams, for me, is the quintessential version because it's the first one I heard. Melee did so much for me in video game music. The first area that I went to in Melee, I had played the regular Super Smash Bros. with a good buddy of mine so, so much. We we played the hell out of that game. And so when I came home after my first year of college, I uh, went over to that same friend's house, and he had rented a GameCube along with Sonic Adventure and uh, Super Smash Bros. Melee. And... Fortunately, we played Sonic Adventure first, um, and it was this was Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And I say fortunately because if we had played Melee first, we never would have played anything else. <laughs> um, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle is a really fun game, but this game just blew me away. And the first area that we went to was the Temple stage, the, the Hyrule Temple. And I almost picked that track because that's... When that song started playing, I remembered the NES version from Zelda 2, and I heard what they had done with that song. And so at that point, both of those, the original one and this one, became favorites of mine. But then Fountain of Dreams, we went there because I thought the stage looked cool, and it does still look really cool. But when this song started playing, it just blew me away. And when I made my first mix CD of video game songs... This one, uh, and a version of Ice Cap Zone, and a couple of different versions of the main theme from Legend of Zelda and the Tetris theme were on there. And my favorite ones were always these big orchestral mixes, because when you hear in this track, like all the timpani, and the horns, and the strings, and the woodwinds, and how they play off of each other with all of the different parts of this song, it really w it was my first experience appreciating them taking this relatively simple original melody and really fleshing it out into something big. And like you said, epic is not too strong of a word for this song. It's so, so good. I think that's pretty amazing. And I was going to say that the uh, the temple stage on Melee, I mean, that was like the stage on that game. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a reason why they kept bringing that back for every Smash Brothers game after that. For sure. Yeah, it's it's possibly my favorite Smash stage ever. Uh, Kyler, 
<clears throat> Shukapau is more of a um, competitive Smash player, so usually when I'm playing with Shukapau, it's on Final Destination <laughs> or uh, Battlefield. But now, fortunately, you can do Final Destination or Battlefield on any stage in Ultimate, and so you can still hear all the different songs. <laughs> so, and see all the kind of the different style of each stage. But man, that temple stage was epic. Did you have any go-to fighters in Melee? In Melee, um, <clears throat> Link. Link was my main all the way up through Ultimate. Uh, and even, he's still one of my main characters in Ultimate, but Link has always been, been my boy. Um, but other than Link, I think that I, I enjoyed playing as Roy and I thought that, uh, I thought that Falco was, was really fun in Melee as well. How about you? I think I play a pretty mean Dr. Mario. So I always thought he was like slightly better than Mario on Melee. Um, I feel like he had a little more weight and power than, than Vanilla Mario. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Um. I really <laughs> enjoyed they, Mr. Game & Watch. Him. I know he's kind of considered oh, yeah, like right. low tier on the Melee roster, but I always thought he was really cool. Man, I, I forgot I forgot Mr. Game & Watch debuted in Melee. Yeah, that was a really cool inclusion. And man, there is so much great music on this soundtrack. It's uh, It really was the first time that they did this huge celebration of Nintendo music and showed the world what what it really could be with, you know, with Redbook Audio for the first time. Such a special soundtrack. And I think at the time, like, I, I thought there was just so much to do in that game. I mean, there was so much content, so many characters. Oh, my gosh. So many stages. Yeah. I I miss the events so much that they had in Smash games. Events was cool. I really like the the adventure mode. The adventure mode in this one is really cool because everything is kind of patterned after... After actual, uh, you know, Nintendo themed levels, not some big generic stage like uh, Subspace Emissary and not just a map and battles like World of Light. Uh, you could tell they put a lot of love and thought into this one. You know, you and I haven't played uh, around on Ultimate in a while either. We'll have to we'll have to jump back in sometime and do that. Yeah, especially with uh, all the fighters finally released. Yep, finally being out in Ultimate. One one of my mains now actually is Ganondorf. I I play a really mean Ganondorf, and he was super low tier in melee. He was just big, and it was just clunky and slow, and and not great. And even even you know like in Smash Bros, when you do a good job, the audience will chant your character's name. And it was so funny in melee. If you actually did manage to do something well with Ganondorf, they just sounded so bored and resigned, like Ganondorf, Ganondorf. <laughs> Man, in Ultimate, he's pretty awesome. Yeah, I always kind of thought of him as a less fun Captain Falcon in melee. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, and I didn't actually mean to, but I guess Ganondorf is a pretty good segue to to the next song. And I'm going to have quite a bit to say about this version of this song as well. Oh my god, that was totally accidental. <laughs> Man, I said that that Fountain of Dreams track was amazing. Oh boy. Uh, next, we're going to listen to Gerudo Valley, which that was 
was from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and we're actually not going to listen to that original track. It's what we're pulling from is it's the, I believe it's the Legend of Zelda 25th Anniversary Symphony, I think that's what it was called. Yep, I think so. This this particular version, I believe, was on the anniversary disc that came out with Special Orders of Skyward Sword on the Wii. And that track was originally composed by Koji Kondo, and this arrangement was done by the Legend of Zelda 25th Anniversary Orchestra.
that track that you just listened to that was Gerudo Valley from The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, which actually that's wrong because this is actually coming <laughs> from the Legend of Zelda 25th Anniversary Symphony. It was originally composed by Koji Kondo and this arrangement was done by the Legend of Zelda 25th Anniversary Orchestra. <sighs> All right. Um, I'll get down to it. This this is my single favorite piece of video game music. And I know that technically speaking, this isn't a video game track. It's an arrangement, but this is my favorite piece of video game music media. Um, to me, with my particular sensibilities, it just doesn't get any better than this. With The original Gerudo Valley has... Um, kind of a Spanish sort of feel, almost like a, a flamenco style. And I have heard it done in that style, and it's really, really good. But the sweeping sort of desert cinematic like orchestra with, again, those timpanis and those horns and the way that it builds from the, the pretty sparse like a uh, um, percussion and a couple of horns early on to this just this big full like concert hall filling sound it just gets me every single time i love this track so much i i love it as well i mean i thought the original was so good and this just brings back so many memories of playing through ocarina of time well and to me when i first heard this version of this song it brought me back to the way that playing ocarina of time felt because to my middle school self on the n64 i mean you look at something like Breath of the Wild and it's laughable how small the Ocarina of Time map really was in retrospect. But for us, I mean, this was Zelda in 3D and Link was going around and exploring all of these amazing places. And you didn't get to Gerudo Valley until near the end of the of the game. And it just feels so, so cool going through the desert with all like the high storms and everything. And um, just this... I could picture Link riding Epona across the sand with like um, with some kind of like head covering kind of flapping behind him in, in the wind and just seeing the sun like reflect off the dunes of the Gerudo Desert. I could I could just picture that so easily with with this amazing music. And and that's how I felt playing the game back then, even though you couldn't ride opponent into the desert, which was kind of lame. <laughs> but still, you know, I think Ocarina of Time is I mean, I guess not to sound cliche, but it's a very special game for sure. For sure. It's it, it has earned its spot on the lists that people make when they talk about the best or most influential games for certain it's it, it changed the whole scene of of video games and what especially 3d adventure games can be when it came out so so good i kind of hate to bring this up but there's a bit of a an age gap between you and i and <laughs> that's all right and i only bring it up because i'm gonna say this but ocarina of time was pretty early on in my life a very important game i mean it was one of yeah. the first games that i i played and played through and and as a super young guy the ocarina of time kind of just helped plant the seeds of my love for video games 
games and video game music. I mean, that's how much that game like means to me. Yeah, for sure, man. And I mean, like I said, Zelda is my favorite series. Everything that you just said is what A Link to the Past was for me and for a lot of people of, of my generation. And Ocarina of Time came along and just really really drove home that that love that I had for the series and I was uh, after that regardless of you know motion controls or uh, slow starts to the early part of the game or you know this big open space where not a lot is happening any of the critiques that are brought against Skyward Sword Twilight Princess Breath of the Wild it doesn't matter to me in my book Zelda can do no wrong and um, when Whenever there is something that for other people might be a barrier to enjoyment, for me, it's just it's just part of the experience. And it's, uh, you know, it's I um, I need to mute my servers again because we've been going for a while. <laughs> but it's just it's a really special series. And the music is again, music is a really big part. of. It. I think with a lot of the older games, there are some stuff that hasn't particularly aged that well. But most of the stuff, and especially with the music, I think is aged like fine wine. I mean, this stuff was very enjoyable back then, and I still think it's very enjoyable right now. Well, and another game that will always be that way for me... Um, we started out on the Super Nintendo, and for for my specific last pick of the show, um, we're going to be going back to it for another game that was really important to me growing up and uh, has a, a really, really banging soundtrack. And I'm happy to be able to bring a track that a lot of people don't talk about. And that track is Password from Mega Man X, and it was composed by Setsuo Yamamoto, Makoto Tomozawa, Yuki Iwai, Yuko Takihara, and Toshihiko Horiyama. track that you just listened to that was password from the game mega man x it was composed by setsuo yamamoto makoto tomozawa yuki ui yuko takihara and toshihiku horiyama and if it's not clear if if i'm not listening to something you know with a fun bouncy melody or something that's big and orchestral and sweeping i'm listening to something that just has that that pure nostalgic feel to it this has got that same sort of feeling to me as rainbow road it's just it's such a cool relaxing you know good feels kind of song 
Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of energy with it, but I do find it very comforting. And what's cool about it is a lot of times, I mean, this was also essentially the game over screen, because if you lost all your lives, it would take you to the password screen so that you could write down the password and get back to, you know, to where you were. Um, but you could also just when you booted up the game, go to the password entry area and hear this. And sometimes I would do that. I would go into the password just so I could listen to this a little bit before I started playing. Uh, this particular piece I want to mention real quick was actually composed by Toshihiko Horiyama. Uh, this is from the Capcom database. And I just know this because I looked into it um, around this time last year when I did my uh, Mega Man X versus X3 episode with Skeletroy. And this is the only track that Horiyama contributed to the soundtrack, um, and which is why it's probably so different than everything else on, on the playlist. But it's, it's really good. And this was his first time ever actually composing on a game. I think he had done some sound design before this, but it definitely wasn't his last. He was with Capcom for a long time. Um, he composed on Mega Man 7, uh, X3, and X4, Mega Man and Base. Uh, he was involved in Mega Man Battle Network, and then um, started moving into more uh, of a produ uh, production or direction role in the uh, Ace Attorney games. So definitely a long time Capcom composer after this, Toshihiko Horiyama. I kind of dig that because, you know, they're kind of just dipping their toes in the water, just feeling, you know, how it, how it feels. And when they're ready, mm -hmm. they're going to just jump in and it's going to be a huge splash. And that's exactly what happened. It definitely is. And I don't have a whole lot more to say about this particular track. I just, it's, it's the perfect kind of, we've had all of this exciting stuff going on. And this one, before we get to, before we get to the last track of the show, I just thought this was a nice, nice, peaceful way to kind of kind of start calming things back down i was thinking you know that last track it's pretty chill but it's kind of it's got a bit of a different tone than this password track <laughs> well i wouldn't expect anything different from from that composer <laughs> uh you asked me who um you know when you asked me for, for some of the stuff i liked i mentioned that my favorite composer um really did most of his best work on the uh, on the NES, and that is Naoki Kodaka. And if you really want to hear me just gush about how much I love Kodaka and talk about his music, I did another episode with Skeletroy this last fall uh, where he and Chukapau and I talked about Naoki Kodaka and his work on the NES. And this particular track that Alex picked is from a game that I actually don't have a lot of experience with, but I told him, Truthfully, anything that you pick by Naoki Kodaka, I will be happy to hear. <laughs> so hopefully all, all the rest of you enjoy it as much as I do. I think before I get into that track, I think now is a pretty good time to wrap things up. And I guess for you to plug away at your, your plugs, let everyone know where they <laughs> can find you. Plug away at my plugs. I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, so I um, already mentioned that Shukapau and I host Very Good Music, a VGM podcast, which you can find on a lot of, uh, on pretty much any podcatcher and on YouTube. And um, we're going to be slowing things down a little bit this coming, this coming year. I have been doing a sort of season by season thing like Rhythm and Pixels does, but uh, now we're going to be moving into just releasing episodes as they come and they're not going to be coming quite quite as frequently as they were but we're still going to try to do something at least once a month because uh 
Shukapam is actually starting to do some work gearing up for um, a release later this year of uh, a YouTube Let's Play channel. And you can find out more about that by following Shoot uh, at Shoot Kapow, spelled like it sounds, um, on Twitter. You can find me at VGM Pod on Twitter. And if you're interested in something a little bit different, um, another one of our VGM podcasting friends is The Dyad. And he and I are teaming up to do a podcast about legal films, uh, stuff like A Few Good Men and My Cousin Vinny and Liar Liar. Um, The Dyad is a lawyer in real life, and um, as I've already kind of mentioned, I am not, but I do like legal films. And so he and I are going to talk about some of those. And actually, when this episode drops, um, earlier this week, we released our first full episode, which was about My Cousin Vinny. So don't go Go check that out and, uh, you know, look us up on Twitter if you want to come and talk to us. And Alex, thank, thanks so much again for uh, for having me, giving me a chance to play some of my favorite old nostalgic tunes and, um, you know, share a little bit of my personal BGM taste. Well, I want to say thank you for coming on to my show. You brought some pretty amazing stuff and... I'm sure that all the VGM journeymen, I think they'll agree that this was a lot of amazing stuff. Well, I hope so. (laughs) I certainly enjoyed it myself. (laughs) I think that's going to just about do it for the show this week. If you like what you've been listening to, have your friends check out the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever podcatching service that you could think of. I'm pretty sure that I'm on. I seem to be everywhere. Yes, you do. (laughs) You can email the show at vgmjourney at yahoo.com, and you could also check us out on Twitter at vgmjourney. We're going to play things out with one more track, and we kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh, This is the ending theme from Batman Return of the Joker, and this was composed by Naoki Kudaka. Have a good week, everyone. And actually, to you as well, Bedroth. And to you as well, Alex. Thanks so much again, and yeah, everybody have a great night, and keep listening to a BGM journey. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm.